0: We bought the slurma with Bitcoin.
1: Friends and enemies, welcome to The Progress Report. I am your host, Duncan Kinney, recording today here in Amiskwichiwa, otherwise known as Edmonton, Alberta, here in Treaty 6 territory on the banks of the mighty Kasiskasaw, Mississippi, or the North Saskatchewan River. Joining us today is Paris Marks, host of the Tech Won't Save Us podcast and a fellow traveler on the Harbinger Media Network. Paris, welcome to the pod.
2: Thanks so much for uh, inviting me. Happy to chat about Alberta and cryptocurrency
1: and your fantastic premier. She certainly is a special little egg. (laughs) <laughs> uh, especially when it comes to what we're going to talk about today. So, so yeah, you get to, you're in Newfoundland, right? You get to, now you get to dip your toe into crazy town, Alberta politics. Uh, like do they I, I, I have to admit, I am not keeping up with, with local politics in Newfoundland. Do they compare at all? Um,
2: Probably not completely. Like Newfoundland has its own set of problems, but I would say Alberta politics isn't as distant as you might think because, you know, there's a, ton of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians who head out west and who work in Alberta and live there sometimes as well. Um, So we certainly, you know, still get shades of everything that goes on out there. We still hear about a lot of it because a lot of people in Newfoundland have family out there. So yeah, you know, it's distant, but not as distant as you might think.
1: Fair enough, but I I just I I live in it. I am surrounded by it. It's the water I swim in. But I feel like, like just the general regular insanity of Alberta politics is. I just don't know if it's replicated anywhere else. Like, is it's not like it's like Newfoundland politics is just not like Alberta politics. Like, at least tell me I got that right. No, it it's still quite different.
2: And you know, there was something like around when was that? I think the federal election, the last federal election. A lot of Albertans were like really mad at. Newfoundland or like the Atlantic provinces. Cause we had voted liberal um, and <laughs> they're obviously conservative. Um, yeah. I don't know. There's a, there's some weird stuff. We're both oil provinces, of course, you know, Newfoundland very dependent on offshore oil unlike uh, the
1: tar sands, but yeah. Fair enough. So I know uh, over on your podcast, you've done a lot of great interviews and reporting on crypto. And I think it's important for us to be upfront about our biases uh, about this subject um, I am what you would charitably call a crypto ste- skeptic. <laughs> what are what are your uh, general feelings on on cryptocurrency as a as a product, as an asset class, as whatever the fuck it gets defined as?
2: Yeah, it, it's no secret that I'm a strong opponent of crypto. Um, and you know, ever since all of the excitement kind of blew up back in what I guess it was 2020 now, um, and and especially through 2021. Um, yeah, I, I spent quite a bit of time on my podcast talking to critics to explain um, why it was not all, you know, that was being promised by, you know, people who I think you can rightfully say were looking to profit off of getting people into really scammy tech products rather than, you know, really trying to upend uh, the world or governance or, you know, empower people or any of that kind of bullshit that was surrounding a lot of these discussions
1: so does cryptocurrency or bitcoin does it does it provide anything of value to society
2: i would say no um and and i think like that kind of skeptical perspective that kind of opposition to crypto has really been legitimized um since you know the crash started happening in november of 2021 Uh, You know, the prices of many major cryptocurrencies have significantly declined since then. Um, But along with that is a lot of the kind of projects and companies that were associated with crypto have also imploded um, during that time. And that has meant that a lot of people who really bought into these promises, who thought they were going to make a lot of money, if not upend like governance structures and stuff like that, um, have really lost a lot, have been hit hard by this downturn in the crypto ecosystem. Ecosystem, um, and you know they were kind of led into it by a bunch of scammers and liars who were
1: looking to take advantage of them. So we have this thing that doesn't provide any value to society, but uh, but tell me it doesn't you know cat- catastrophically harm the environment. Um, <laughs> you, know, you can at least tell me that, right?
2: Uh, no, unfortunately not. Um, you know, I think that there have been some like minor improvements on that front. Um, you know, Ethereum uh, moved its kind of. I don't know how, how, how you'd properly describe it. Basically, the way that it mines uh, tokens has been changed so that it's less environmentally harmful, they say. Um, you know, But Bitcoin is still the big elephant in the room here, and that has not changed. It still used what's called a proof-of-work uh, you know, algorithm or, or whatever. Um, and that is incredibly energy intensive. Um, and and that still continues to operate that way. Um, and as a result, you know, a lot of mines have popped up in places and then they cause their own environmental harms that use a lot of energy. Um, you know, and, and for what? There's no real tangible benefit that's coming of it other than some people really speculate, spec, sorry, some people really speculating on some digital products. Um, And, you know, certainly some big whales, as they're called, you know, wealthy people who own a lot of Bitcoin have still been able to make off with some profits during this kind of boom period that went on. And certainly venture capitalists that funded some of these crypto tokens and projects and NFTs and all this kind of garbage, um, they were able to make money because what would happen is they would buy in when the price was low before it was launched to the public. And then it would immediately take off, you know, the prices of these of these crypto tokens and NFTs when the projects were initially launched. And so then the VCs and, and the investors would sell out at that moment. Um, and then basically kind of what what is termed a rug pull, they would basically take everyone's money and the value of these NFTs and tokens and stuff would end up crashing down the line. Um, and they would basically just be kind of robbing the pockets of people who they scammed into it.
1: Yeah. So it doesn't have any real use case. It does not provide anything of value. It has uh, catastrophic effects on the environment and climate change. We're talking about the electricity consumption of entire countries that is equal to the amount of like worldwide energy that goes towards mining Bitcoin. And then there is also the like real harm that it does to people uh, because it is a fucking scam. Like I think Nuriel Rabini, like the Dr. Doom guy, whatever, was quoted I think last week as saying like 99% of crypto is a scam. <laughs> Yeah, he's probably underestimating it. <laughs> yeah, something like 99.91% uh, of crypto is yeah. scam. <laughs> exactly. And but not
2: the stuff being pushed by Pierre Polyev and Danielle Smith.
1: <laughs> no, no, that's actually cool and good. So yeah, so so yeah. so crypto is very popular. We can see it t- start to penetrate into political culture up here in Canada. The leader of the opposition and the putative next prime minister of this fucking country is uh, a crypto guy, Pierre Polyev. Uh, we had the very famous case of the Bitcoin shawarma where Pierre Polyev went to a, a shawarma shop in, in London, Ontario, and screeched in his very weird uh, voice that I, I still don't, I can't place the, what the fuck he sounds like, <laughs> uh, about uh, how he bought a shawarma. Let, let's just take a minute to listen to that right now, because it's a, it's a very strange cultural artifact.
2: We're going to buy this
0: shawarma with this Bitcoin. You ready? He's creating me an invoice right now. Now listen, he's gonna. Oh yeah. Make sure to include the tip in there as well. All right. All right. Send. 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 Done. I got it. You got the payment. All right, we get it. Come on over here.
1: Come on, guys, we get it. We bought the shawarma with Bitcoin bought the shawarma with bitcoin <laughs> so um just can you imagine here, if you
2: know, i walked into a store you know i wanted to get a shawarma or a wrap or something and like when i paid with my mastercard or something everyone started cheering and was like oh my god the payment went through i can't believe it
1: <laughs> it's incredible yeah a truly a feat an amazing feat of technology and and uh paris what do you think has happened to the price of Bitcoin since this happened? This happened in, uh, by the way, like less than a year ago. This was March 2022 that this happened. What do you think has happened to the price of Bitcoin since Pierre bought his famous shawarma?
2: Oh yeah, it has. It has continued to slide. It was already sliding at that point, and it has crashed even further.
1: Well, he was. Uh, that was like near peak. I think it peaked at like 66 or 67 grand uh, a, a Bitcoin. I think American USD a Bitcoin was what it peaked it was at when something
2: at like- In November 2020. Yeah, and he bought.
1: Yeah, and he bought it at fifty nine, nearly sixty. So fifty nine, nearly sixty thousand dollars. So like quite quite close to the peak. Uh, you know, as of recording right now, we're at around thirty thousand dollars of Bitcoin. So half, it's half. We're talking about <laughs> if he was to buy that Bitcoin, if he was to buy that shawarma today, he would have to have double the amount of Bitcoin to buy it which is something that you actually really like and and want to happen when uh your stable value uh your st- stable thing that you want to use to exchange for value and buy goods and services with you just want it to wildly fluctuate in price over the course of 6 to 9 months
2: absolutely you know that that's exactly what you want from a currency that you depend on that you pay taxes in that you buy things in you know it just needs to fluctuate all over the place that makes it fun
1: so this this having of Crypto of Bitcoin, uh, the price of Bitcoin didn't just happen in, in isolation. There was a couple of like large scale crises that happened uh, over the course of you know between July all the way up to November uh, of last year, where we saw a massive kind of collapse in the price of crypto. Um, I don't know how much detail we want to get into this, but like, what can you tell us about the the collapse of Celsius as a as a as a crypto institution?
2: Yeah, Celsius is one of a number of companies that has kind of collapsed companies and tokens and whatever you want to call them over the past number of months. um, Celsius is one, a major one. Um, There was, of course, the Terra and Luna collapse, which some people might remember. An algorithmic stablecoin and the token it was tied to. You know, there's Three Arrows Capital that went down as well. Um, And with each of those that collapsed, there was kind of a contagion that happened, where they took down other smaller projects and companies and exchanges and and what have you. Um, And you know, obviously, every single time that happened. Uh, there were a lot of people who had money who you know, who had crypto in these, uh, you know, companies and they lost a lot of money and that hurt them
1: really hard. And then all leading up to the biggest collapse that we've seen so far in the crypto space, the, the collapse of the second largest crypto exchange in the world, uh, FTX. Uh, we do not have time to go over all of the insane details of this story, but but what sticks out to you from the collapse of FTX?
2: Oh man, where where to start with this one? Uh, other than you know, Kevin O'Leary was intimately involved in all of this as a big spokesperson <laughs> um, for FTX. Uh, yes. You know, our 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 home dragon. Uh, you know, who who's kind of gone south to embarrass us all. Um, <laughs> I, I think the biggest thing that kind of stands out to me, and and like it, you know, that's not one of the more sensational kind of headline grabbing aspects of this is that, you know, all of these, as as I was just saying, all of these companies and tokens and things were collapsing, were going under, you know, NFTs were significantly declining in value and all these sorts of things. And one of the narratives that was going around, you know, FTX was the second largest crypto exchange um, before it collapsed. Binance is the first. And one of the things that people were saying was, you know, Binance is um, offshore. It's really shady. You can't totally trust it. But FTX, you know, you can trust this company. You can put your crypto with it. It has a really nice, clean interface that looks trustworthy. Um, you know, it is held by this guy, Sam Bankman-Fried, who was getting all this positive press, who talked about how he was an effective altruist and, you know, really believed in giving back his money and, and blah, blah, blah. Um, and so the narrative around it was like, this is, you know, Obviously, there's a lot of turbulence in the crypto space. You know, there's a lot of things that you can't depend on. But FTX, you can depend on this company. And then it just like was totally obliterated within the the, uh, span of a few days. Um, And, you know, once again, you know, people lost billions of dollars when this happened and like you can read the stories that some people have talked about online or told journalists or whatever and like some of these things are like really harrowing like one that sticks with me is this guy who like really believed what ftx and these crypto companies were saying that you could put your money with them and you'd get these really high um, rates of return on it because, you know, interest rates were kind of low when a lot of this stuff was happening. We all know that savings accounts have been basically useless for over a decade because the the rates of interest are so low on them. And so he was like, you know, this is something that I can use to get bigger returns on my money. And so he put a lot of his mother's savings in it um, and then it all collapsed and he never told her. And one of the things that he wrote was like, you know, he's dealing with like intense anxiety and like, you know, just trying to deal with this and trying to hope that he can get this money back before like his mom actually asks for some of this money. And like, that's just one story of many like, you know, when the Terra Luna collapse happened, I I know I'm going on, I'll, I'll stop talking in a second. But like when that happened, a lot of Terra Luna was bought and sold in South Korea. Because the guy who started that company and those tokens was South Korean. And it was like, you know, this is, again, you're South Korean, you should buy from this South Korean guy, you can depend on him. Um, and, and once that happened, the searches for a specific site in Seoul that is known to be a place that people go to commit suicide, like just jumped on Google, right? Um, and like a lot of people were lost a lot of money. And then this was kind of what they turned to. They kind of lost hope in everything. And so I think, you know, it just gives you perspective that when these things happen, like it's good to see the crypto industry being hurt and being discredited. But that has also come at the cost of a lot of people um, not only losing a lot of money, but suffering like a lot of hardship in their lives.
1: Yeah, I mean, FTX, you're right. FTX was sold as the safe, stable, you know the crypto exchange that you know you, you your mom could put money into kind of thing and you know that Kevin O'Leary was the forefront of this they hired a whole bunch of celebrities to, yeah. to push it and you know even though it was set up in the bahamas it was like oh there was americans running it you know like it, there was kind of this like it was sold as this thing and then and then it collapses and we learned that like FTX didn't have an accounting department
0: you know yeah. like
1: the guy the guy that they brought in who like specializes in taking over troubled fucking companies that go into bankruptcy he showed up and he he was the guy who oversaw the liquidation of Enron after that fucking fraud in the early 2000s. And quote, never in my career have I seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information as occurred here. Like, yeah. like this, this is a fucking scam. It was a huge fucking scam. <laughs> and it fell apart in like, like you said, three fucking days. <laughs> and, uh, and we got Mr. Wonderful fucking Kevin O'Leary eating shit. Uh, but, but also real, real human effects as well. Yo, and, absolutely. When,
2: when that new CEO uh, went and testified before the U.S. House in the United States, one of the things he even said was that like FTX, this massive multibillion dollar exchange was like using QuickBooks for its accounting, like, you know, this kind of small <laughs> business software. Like, it's just, it's just a joke. Like, it's so, I don't know. It, it, it's so ridiculous. Just all of the stories that have come out about this, like there's, there's another story as well that they literally had a group chat called like wire fraud or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, guys, like you need to be a bit more like secretive than this. You need to be a bit better. You can't be so obvious that like you're committed crimes.
1: <laughs> yeah. The people at Goldman Sachs are not, not creating fucking group chats on Slack called wire fraud. Yeah, exactly. being a little more circumspect, you know, but okay. So, so we've, we've kind of walked through you know the, the 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 broad strokes of the crypto story after a while, but or f- for the time being, but like here in Alberta, uh, it, it, Alberta was really setting itself up as the most crypto friendly government in Canada. Uh, you know the the regime here, uh, formerly under Kenny, uh, Kenny at the time, was they were putting out positive signals about crypto. Like when we had cabinet ministers tweeting out that it was good news that FTX was setting up a sh- uh, an office in Calgary. You know, we had uh, the government passing bills here that offered relief from legislative and regulatory requirements for crypto and blockchain companies uh, in what they called a regulatory sandbox. So like you didn't have to follow the rules if you were just doing new and innovative stuff. Uh, this is literally like... Uh, the Financial Innovation Act is what they fucking called it. They had they had like <laughs> you know spokespeople from the Canadian Blockchain Consortium like putting out press releases or showing up in government press releases saying that this bill was a game changer. You know, you know Jason Kenney was very excited about the announcement that that FTX was purchasing a Calgary based crypto crypto company whose stupid name I can't even remember. Again, like tweeting it out. Uh, obviously, the fucking deal fell through when FTX like collapsed, but you know, conservatives, broadly speaking, especially the, like, the, the libertarian kind of wing of the conservative party, which apparently there was a lot of here in the government of Alberta, like they seem to be a big fan of crypto. Uh, you know, it seems to be linked to this libertarian kind of urge to be free from the evil of central banks. You know, why do you think governments, why do you think conservative activists and, and, and conservatives and libertarians get caught up in this kind of, in the, in the church of crypto?
2: Yeah, it's a load of bullshit, really, like, we should start by saying that. And part of the reason I think that the Alberta government was so interested in it was, you know, obviously, they need to show that they are diversifying in some way, right? Um, Even though Jason Kenney came to power and basically cut a lot of the incentives and stuff that were aimed at um, economic diversification in Alberta to refocus on the oil industry. And so I think crypto comes along, and it offers like, you know, the prospect of this kind of sector that they can promote that is basically bullshit, um, that is highly, highly speculative, but allows them to say, like, look, we are investing in this technology of the future. We are going to locate it in Alberta. Um, we're going to create all these jobs. And so people who aren't really like clued into the reality of the crypto industry, especially at this moment when they were promoting it, it looks like, you know, the Kenny's government, um, at the time was actually doing the work of, you know, diversifying the economy, growing the tech industry and these sorts of things, especially at a moment when this particular industry, the values of cryptocurrencies were soaring. Right. And it looked like, you know, people were making a lot of money in, in all of this. Um, and so, you know, You can see why they go after it. And then that's also linked to, as you're saying, the broader kind of ideological project that's attached to it, right? The idea is that cryptocurrency is not just a speculative asset where you can make some money, but it's a way to create a whole other... Um, currency system and financial system that is divorced from the control of government. Um, And so if you are opposed to government, if you want to promote kind of the individual taking power, then this is the way to do it. And you're going to like completely upend the power of the state by encouraging this technology. And now these kinds of promises have been made about digital technologies and the internet ever since they were first created. And it's never actually played out as Um, you know, these narratives, these libertarian narratives suggest they always empower corporate corporations and to some degree is governments, um, but they're presented as the opposite. Um, And so, yeah, it's just a a kind of libertarian fever dream that ultimately ends up, um, you know, being profitable for a lot of the very kind of people who tend to benefit from, you know, libertarian projects, right? The capitalists at the Mm
1: -hmm. end of the day. And if there's one thing... That Daniel Smith loves. It's a libertarian fever dream. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, not only did Per Polyev have this kind of midlife conversion to the church of cryptocurrency, but so did Daniel Smith. Uh, she has written about how she started investing in the space in 2016. She has spoken about how she owns Ethereum. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have the exact details of her crypto holdings yet. Uh, MLAs in Alberta do have to disclose their investments. Um, and she was elected, I think, back in November. So, like, in the next few months, uh, we should have those details, but we don't have them yet. But if you want to get a sense of Daniel Smith's deep, abiding interest in crypto, uh, I have a clip for you from April 20th, 2022, from her show on the far right news site, The Western Standard, where she is, and I shit you not here, essentially just reading directly and riffing off of a Zero Hedge article. <laughs> um, she, she prefaces all of this by saying, look, this article says it's, the author is Tyler Durden, but she has to tell her audience, she has to explain to her audience that, look, look Tyler Durden is not the author's real name, we don't know who the author is, it's, but, but she still goes and spends like 15, 20 minutes like just reading off of this uh, and riffing off of this, this uh, Zero Hedge article, but here, here's the clip.
0: This is more than an asset, it is a spiritual philosophy. Because I think that's what we're looking for, is some kind of counter to this government knows best, um, that they can step in and interfere in every aspect of your life, seemingly with impunity. Is there some other counter to that?
1: And so there you go, right? Like, that's exactly what you were fucking talking about, where you have these these kind of useful idiot libertarians who believe that crypto is is this, you know, somehow is going to produce freedom from government freedom from central banks and you know it's over and above money because like she's talked about how she's lost money in it um it's really about like it's it's about the political project of crypto almost more than the money part of it right totally
2: and you know And let's be clear, like the political project is a lie, right? As so many of these kind of right wing narratives often are, especially when you look at more populist politicians like Danielle Smith and uh, Pierre Polyev, right? They want you to believe that they're on the side of workers and all this kind of stuff. But actually, the policies and, and the project that they are promoting is one that benefits capital at the expense of the rest of us. Um, and, you know, the real key thing to note about this kind of libertarian ethos of cryptocurrency is that it is benefiting particular capitalists, right? The, the idea is that you take the power over money, over currency, um, o- away from the state. And then it's in control of the hands of the people. But actually what you have then is when you take that power from the state, you put it in the hands of capitalists. So you basically end up further empowering capital at the expense of everyone else. You lose the power of the state to have control over money. And, you know, we can discuss whether you know, what the the government does and the regulations that it has around currency in the central bank are actually beneficial to people. I would say they are also beneficial to capital. It's, it's a lose-lose in many ways, right? Um, but, you know, at least it's not as bad as what these people are, are trying to suggest. And I would make one final point here, right? They often point to how the banking system has a lot of problems. And this justifies why we need cryptocurrency. And often they point to the global south as well. And they'll say, you know, currencies in the global south are already very, um, you know, already fluctuate a lot. You know, they don't often have a dependable kind of um, standard in a way that, you know, the Canadian dollar or the US dollar or something like that might have, where they don't kind of move around as much. And there isn't as much kind of, you know, movement in the in the value of those currencies, and the reality is that yes, those things are often true, but introducing a cryptocurrency or a new technology is not going to solve those problems, right? Those are fundamentally political problems that need to be solved at the political level. The problem with our banking system is a result of how um, you know it is privatized, how it's controlled by private interests the ways that it is regulated, and we could have a public banking system that better serves the interests of the public. But these people don't want to talk about that. And then when we move to like the world scale, the reason that a lot of these Global South countries have really, um, you know, undependable currencies where people often try to get U.S. dollars or a euro or more stable currency like that that doesn't fluctuate as much is because of the international financial architecture that was created by the global north countries, by the western countries, right, Um, to benefit themselves and allow them to extract capital from the rest of the world. And that's not going to be solved by introducing some kind of speculative cryptocurrency that just you know, kind of makes everyone's money highly speculative and, and you know, you lose control over it and hand it over to capitalists. So it's a, it's a very kind of lose-lose proposition. Um, when we talk about cryptocurrency, it does not deliver the empowerment or the benefits that these people would claim. And there are actually ways to solve the problems that they identify, but their solutions will never work.
1: And there's a line of thought out there, you know, I was just reading this morning about how uh, you know the promulgation of a lot of the underlying technology of cryptocurrency you know who the hell Satoshi Nakamoto was anyways still a mystery uh was developed by like you know the western security state <laughs> and <laughs> that cryptocurrency a cryptocurrency offers a very handy way for intelligence agencies to move currency around and to to kind of fund their projects without having to worry about you know the minimal oversight that they get from, uh, you know, the States that they are attached to. Right. So I, again, I don't have time to go into that one. I was, I was, I, was, I, sh- I should send that to you by the way. <laughs> it's, uh, I'll put it in the show notes too. It's really interesting stuff, but, but back to Daniel Smith in Alberta. So, so Daniel Smith is not just, not just a true believer and, and like, you know, Views crypto as a spiritual philosophy uh, as well as an asset, but she again has big plans for crypto in Alberta. She is the premier of this province now. She is, you know, when she when she was talking this shit when I'm about when I was playing this when uh, I'll play this clip for you. But when she was, you know, talking and 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 laying out these plans that she has for crypto in Alberta, she was, you know, the, the leader of a business lobbyist group. She was a former radio uh, host, and now she is has real political power and uh, you just got to listen to it because you, you have to kind of sit back and Marvel at this woman's brain. But, uh, but here we go.
0: Given that we are going to have Bitcoin mining for at least 120 years. Um, If somebody has any evidence to the contrary that they are going to switch, let me know. But that's my understanding. And given that it's requiring an increasing amount of power in order to mine, and given the fact that it is very difficult to cite these mining operations as they start requiring more and more energy, it seems to me that we have the perfect model in Alberta, where we can establish hubs with Bitcoin mining operations, have off-grid power generators powered by natural gas uh, so that allows us to establish our own electricity. It allows us to approve the, the natural gas pipeline and development that is going to, to power it. And it also gives us a brand new industry for us to attract all of the best and brightest minds of the world. And that's, that to me is when we talk about diversification, isn't this exactly what we've been talking about? It's not retraining all of our energy workers how to install solar panels. It's using our traditional industries and the wealth generated from it to attract and create new industries. And this marriage of this new high-tech emerging world, not just on Bitcoin, but all of the attendant technologies associated with it. I've mentioned before as well, all the amazing carbon tech technologies that are developing that you could could couple on these sites with the production of natural gas-powered electricity and capturing the emissions. My friends, like I think this is the answer. I think it's a way for us to 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 just get going on keeping our energy, uh, our economy revved, without having to constantly rely on a hostile <laughs> series of of decisions coming from Ottawa that keeps on putting barriers in our way. So I want you to think about it, and I want you to respond to me, Danielle at DanielleSmith.ca.
1: So, yeah, I want you to think about it there, Paris.
2: I'm gonna to have to send her an email <laughs> and uh, tell her what I think about that,
1: <laughs> um, I mean, my friends, I think this is the answer i mean <laughs> she's 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 not talking about a just transition. she's talking about a crypto transition here. <laughs>
2: You know, one thing that really stands out to me in that clip, but, you know, beyond the kind of just ridiculous stuff she's saying is it really does show how they see crypto as fitting into their broader ideology and kind of the petrostate state nature of Alberta. Right. Um, you know, we're not going to get off oil and gla- oil. Uh, we're not going to get off oil and gas. Rather. Crypto is this technology that fits within our reliance on oil and gas, our continued reliance on oil and gas, how we're not going to stop doing that. And so, instead of it being kind of a a clean technology that gets us off fossil fuels, it's one that we integrate into the fossil fuel infrastructure, um, and then you know have all this kind of technological abundance and wealth creation as a result of that because we're burning our beautiful, wonderful natural gas here in sweet, great Alberta. Um, And you know, it's just an absolute joke, as you know, the past year has shown us. Um, But also, just this idea that you know we're going to use this fossil fuel to mine these bitcoins that are just a speculative asset. You know, we could almost go so far to call it a Ponzi scheme. Um, but that is also incredibly inefficient and has no real use case that does anything like tangibly good for society. Um, it's just like a complete uh, joke of a project and,
1: you know, and and would actively make it worse right i mean totally. crypto is already bad enough for the environment but but you drain every crappy jack great gas well in alberta dry and just put a crypto mine at at the top of it like you were talking about accelerating climate change you were talking about making it actively fucking worse yeah. again and for nothing for a fucking scam that provides no value to anyone but the rich people who already own the bitcoins right so totally and
2: like and to be clear the best know, they talk about um, turning this into a payment system, and we all buy things in Bitcoin, like Polyev did at that kebab shop, right? But the reality is that the cryptocurrency, you know, financial ecosystem is far less efficient than the one that we already have. It uses much more energy to process a transaction than just using debit or Visa or Mastercard. Those are much better technologies, and they're trying to replace it with something that is worse, that uses more energy. And of course, you know, in this case, they can promote it as, oh, it's just going to burn our beautiful, wonderful, green, you know, ethical fossil
1: fuels here in Alberta. We love our our green fossil fuels here, yeah. So, so, I mean, crypto is a scam. I know it's a scam. You know it's a scam. Even Danielle Smith knows that it's a scam. She herself has been caught (laughs) up in a very famous crypto scam. She has admitted to uh, having money in and losing money in Quadriga, which was... A crypto exchange uh, that was started by someone who was based in Canada. Uh, it was determined to be a fraud and a Ponzi scheme by the Ontario Securities Commission. But like literally, here is Daniel Smith in her own words on like how crypto is a scam.
0: It's very true that there have been problems in the past with some major collapses of exchanges. As you know, I was victim of one of those with the Quadriga Exchange, Gerald Cotton, apparently died of Crohn's disease when he was in India. I say apparently because they actually went through the process of trying to exhume his body to make sure he didn't fake his death because he ended up absconding with, uh, I think, $250 million worth of of people's investments. So there are dangers. There's no doubt about it. There are always going to be unscrupulous individuals anytime a new market emerges.
1: Yeah, uh, I think she fucking nails it there. (laughs)
2: yeah really though It, it it is a it is a weird like i'm not super up on the quadriga case but like it is a weird one right like all of this money was in this exchange um the guy goes to india dies apparently um his wife acts like she never knew anything about it uh you know kind of pleads ignorance Uh, And then there's all this like missing crypto, supposedly. And there are certainly like conspiracy theories. There are people who wonder, like, did this guy actually die or did he just disappear with like everyone's money? And the thing to say there is like, you know, on a broader scale, when we're talking about all the collapses of the past year and all the people who've lost money in it, you know, if you had your money in a bank and, you know, the bank had some problems, the bank lost your money, whatever, like. You have insurance like there. there's insurance on the bank that up to a certain amount of money, you're going to get your money back, right? You're not going to lose it all. Um, but when you're investing in crypto, that's not the case. Um, you do lose your money because those same uh, you know, protections are not in place in the crypto system as it is in the traditional banking system. Um, and so it creates a lot of real risks.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's a relatively harmless and kind of money losing hobby when some middle-aged loser decides to get into crypto. But when that person is the premier of a province and that person can tell the crown corporation that manages the province's pension funds what to do, it becomes a lot less harmful. Um, You know, not only does Daniel Smith have a lot of power over uh, AIMCO, which is the, the body that manages Alberta's pension funds. But she's also angling to split Alberta from the Canada Pension Plan. This is a fucking long time conservative Albertan idea back to the like Alberta firewall days. Uh, And it's very stupid. It's very unpopular. But she really does fucking want it. She has talked, uh, she spoke just before Christmas this year of having a referendum like to coincide with the election on splitting from the Canada Pension Plan, which. You know, so one of her staff quickly fucking talked her out of because the next day she was like, uh, never mind. Uh, but we will still have a referendum, just not not in to coincide with the election, because again, it's an incredibly unpopular idea and tying your political fortunes to that desperately unpopular idea would be a bad idea. She does still want to govern after all. But uh, are you saying Danielle Smith has bad turn. ideas? I'm, I'm shocked to learn that. <laughs> I, I'm saying I'm saying it's possible. <laughs> um, I, sometimes she is just making it up as she goes along, but. Uh, here's where we take a hard turn into kind of pension governance, because, you know, we are talking about real fucking money here. Uh, Tens of billions of dollars of deferred workers' wages. You know, millions of people rely on these pensions being solvent. And some pension plans have already made investments in crypto uh, that have gone belly up, right? Like we've seen the Ontario pension plan lose uh, more than $100 on FTX we saw the Quebec pension plan lose more than 200 million dollars on Celsius when Celsius went belly up and look i know you and i are not some big brain investment banker types but how the fuck are pension fund managers like some of the most conservative people on this fucking earth some of the should be some of the most risk averse people on the fucking planet investing in things like FTX and Celsius
2: Yeah, I think it's pretty clear, like over the past decade or so, pension plans have become a bit more risky in their investments, especially when it comes to tech investments, because of how we've seen so many, the values of so many of these companies just like explode, right? You know, you invested them as a little startup and then because of, you know, the way that growth works in this industry, because they were all pushed to kind of become a monopoly, um, some of these companies really took off. And so, you know, these pension plans were like, you know, we'll we'll take the risk in some of these companies. But even when it came to the crypto stuff, like there were a lot of people sounding the alarms, um, you know, kind of s- saying that this is a red flag when crypto, when, sorry, when the pension funds um, started to saying that started saying that they were going to invest in crypto um it should have been very obvious for them to know that they shouldn't have been doing this that they shouldn't have been putting um workers you know workers pension money on the line um to invest in these scams in these ponzi schemes um you know luckily the canada pension plan as far as i know didn't um but yeah it's still very um
1: but some support. pension plans did. Some pension funds made bad decisions on crypto kind of uh, without political interference. And and the thing about Alberta and the pension fund manager here is that it is a lot more susceptible to political interference than the Canada pension plan. Yeah. Um, you know, Canada pension plan has said, you know, we don't have any crypto. Uh, I should point out, I should be clear. AIMCO has said that they don't own any crypto. But in Alberta, the government, there is legislation that allows the government to issue directives to AIMCO They also appoint the board, and the board must ensure that these directives are implemented in a prompt and efficient manner. And these directives aren't just theoretical. Um, Back in 2020, I released a report detailing more than a billion dollars of risky investments made by AIMCO into shitty oil and gas companies that was connected to the Alberta Growth Mandate Directive that was put in place by the newly elected Alberta NDP in 2015. Um, Of the 32 separate investments made under that mandate that we know about, 24 We're in oil and gas. And, you know, to compare that again to the federal government and the Canada Pension Plan, they cannot issue such a directive. They are simply not allowed. There is no provision in the the legislation that allows the federal government to tell the Canada Pension Plan what to do. In fact, there are extraordinary safeguards uh, to keep anything like that from ever happening. If you want to, like, bring in legislation that changes the kind of governance of the CPPIB, the Canada Pension Plan Investment Board, it's literally, like, it's harder to do that than it is to like amend the constitution. Um, and so, and then here's the thing though, too like Daniel Smith is sitting there, she loves fucking breaking norms, she fucking revels in it, right? Like the things we're seeing right now about, um, you know, prosecutorial interference, like it's, it's, uh, shit happens all the time with her. And, and again, she floated the idea of having this referendum, immediately walked it back, but. <sighs> Daniel Smith has spoken again literally within the past year of wanting to drain every crappy gas well in Alberta in order to mine bitcoin uh, this is uh you should be worried about this you should be worried about Daniel Smith being in charge of this province, and you should be worried that if uh, if she fucking wins again if she wins the election in in May of this year that like we are going to see those little tentative steps that the Alberta government took towards crypto in, like, kind of, you know, Pierre Polyev shwarma mania. Like, they are only going to happen more and more and more. <laughs> and Paris, as the outsider to all of this, as as someone who is not blessedly does not live in Alberta, uh, it, it does that sets a bad, pretty bad fucking precedent, right? Like when the state starts doing shit like this, it starts like, or when the state potentially could start doing something like this, like Alberta certainly loves to break a trail. And, uh, you know, in the hypotheticals on this is what I'm saying. Does, does, does that frighten you at all?
2: Yeah. Like, I, you know, I think that there are many reasons to want to get Danielle Smith out of the premier's chair as quickly as possible. You know, whether it's whether it's crypto stuff, whether it's, you know, this ridiculous fake controversy she's trying to gin up over the just transition bill or whatever it is the federal government is actually calling it because i believe they're not actually calling it a just transition um you know her her uh what she's doing by interfering with the prosecutors and stuff on the covid cases like you know there's just story after story when it comes to danielle smith of the kind of stuff that she's up to the kind of stuff that she's saying and then has to walk back like this is the kind of loose cannon that you don't want anywhere near the reins of power and unfortunately you know the people of alberta are having to deal with that um you know i certainly wouldn't want to see her given uh majority power for another mandate who knows what she would do especially you know if the kind of um discussion around crypto normalizes a bit and so it's not just seen as this thing that is kind of totally collapsed but maybe there's an opportunity for you know interest in it to revive to to come back again whatever you want to you want to call it and then it kind of justifies a greater investment back into this space because unfortunately i don't think that they're just going to completely disappear I'm not sure what the case is with Danielle Smith, but one thing that has stood out to me is how um, Pierre Polyev seems to have gone quite silent on crypto, or at least I haven't noticed noticed him saying as much (laughs) about it lately since the price of it has gone down. And I know that Trudeau has really used it as a way to kind of attack him and hit him. Like, you know, saying if you had listened to Pierre Polyev, put your money into Bitcoin, like you'd have you'd have basically lost, you know, a ton of it, right, at the moment that he was pushing it. And I think it's a really effective, you know, attack line for for Trudeau, or at least has been for a little while. It it probably won't last much longer. Um, But that shows me that, you know, were they really... Closely kind of uh, aligned with crypto. Would they? Did they really want to grow crypto, crypto quickly? Maybe that is true. Um, but I think part of it was also just trying to appeal to the type of people who had kind of aligned themselves with crypto, um, with this libertarian project, and wanting to get them behind their kind of political campaigns, as you know, the UCP, but also the federal conservatives were trying to realign, you know, I guess their their branding, their messaging, the types of people who they were trying to appeal to, um, you know, around a moment of anger around COVID and, and COVID policies and measures. Um, you know, crypto kind of played into this broader kind of libertarian, uh conservative reactionary kind of narrative and moment when these two leaders really emerged and took power.
1: Well, I will end on with one bright spot of news, which is that in December, after the fucking after the details of the FTX collapse came out, uh, the Canada Pension Plan did did release to the media uh, the fact that they had abandoned any investigations that the investigations that they had started into investing in the crypto space, and that they would not be investing in crypto uh, going forward. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's a nice, that's a good fucking idea. Don't do it. Canada pension plan, <laughs> exactly. save, save your money. Uh, don't lose all of our it's pension. A, money, it's a bad fucking you. idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not real. It's a scam. Please don't invest any Canada pension plan money in crypto. And they decided not to. So that's, that's a nice, it's a nice little way to end it. And that's again, another reason why Alberta should stay in the Canada pension plan as opposed to kind of ripping it out. Um, We've come to the end of our time here. I want to thank you so much for speaking with us, Paris. What's the best way that people can follow along with you and the work you do? It's now is the time to get your plugs in.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for the invitation. They can certainly follow me on Twitter where I'm at Paris Marks. Um, They can go check out my podcast if they want to, uh, which is called Tech Won't Save Us. Yeah, you know, those are the key things, I guess.
1: Awesome, yes, uh tech will save us great podcast. It's in my rotation. it's a part of the harbinger media network, so we've got that we got that synergy going and um yeah, thanks so much for coming on, folks. if you like this podcast, if you like the conversation you just listened to. there is something you can do to help me out uh you can become a recurring donor five ten, fifteen dollars a month, whatever you can afford. very much appreciated. There is a link in the show notes as well as you could just go to progress uh, the progress report slash patrons putting your credit card. And then start the process. Jim and I would really appreciate it. Also, if you have any notes, thoughts, or comments, I am very easy to get a hold of. I am on Twitter at, at Duncan Kinney, and you can reach me by email at Duncan K at progressalberta.ca. Thank you to Jim Story for the editing. Thank you to Cosmic Family Communist for our theme. Thank you for listening, and goodbye.